listeners and welcome to another review episode of the anime nostalgia podcast i wanted to do a short episode in between the two-part satoshi Kon episode that uh i've already started to give you all a little breather while i'm working on editing the second part because uh like i said before we recorded a lot so it's kind of a beast to work with all of the uh audio I've been editing, so I want to give myself and you a little break with a little something different. Plus, I wanted to do something for Halloween because I personally love Halloween, so any excuse to do something Halloween-related, you know, I'm gonna try to take it. So, if you've never heard one of my review episodes before, here's how it goes. Basically, I go back and I rewatch an anime I haven't seen in years to see if what I remember about it is correct, and if I still feel the same way about it as I did back then when I first watched it, because, well, let's face it, we grow up, our tastes change, you know, yada yada. Uh, And then I tell you guys about it. Simple, right? Right. So, in honor of Halloween... I decided to go back and revisit the Vampire Princess Mew OVA series. Now, the Vampire Princess Mew OVA was yet another series that I first discovered via my old locally owned video store when I was a junior high school student. Uh, One day I just found the VHS tapes sitting there next to the Ranma 1.5 tapes that I'd been religiously checking out at that point. Uh, And at that age, I was just starting to delve into the horror genre. So the eerie looking box art and the strange sounding title, uh, you know, caught my attention. What what was a vampire princess? I wanted to know. (laughs) So I rented both tapes uh, that very weekend and decided to find out. What I largely remembered about Vampire Princess Mew was not so much the actual plot or the story, but the feeling that the series gave me. There wasn't really anything you could call gory, there were very little run-for-your-life scenes, and I don't recall there being any sort of jump-scare moments, but there were many subtle things that ended up giving me the creeps when I first watched it, but in a good way. First of all was the music. The second was the look of the weird demon world of the Shinma that we see Miyu frequently travel to, which was drawn to look sort of like a surreal nightmare in blacks and reds and grays. And the third thing was the character of Miyu herself, an eternally young-looking vampire girl who looks innocent and beautiful, but hides a very old soul inside of her that gives her a strange, unearthly quality, especially when she's not hiding her vampiric nature. It had been so long since I'd seen this series that I could barely remember the plot, 
what I recall is largely the first two episodes, which was the first VHS tape, and now, years later, the first DVD. The story of the OVA basically revolves around a spiritualist named Himiko, who crosses paths with Miu while investigating the possession of a girl that Miu is also interested in. Himiko learns about Miu bit by bit as she pursues her, and while Himiko has sworn to Miu that she will chase her down until she captures her and puts an end to her blood-drinking ways, the two go back and forth in a sort of typical cat-and-mouse scenario, sometimes chasing each other, other times helping each other. Pair this with Miu's dark and mostly silent servant, Larva, and the fact that Miu insists she only drinks the blood of those who want her to, it almost sounds like your typical vampire-being-hunted story. But as the story progresses, we learn more about Miu's past and meet even more demons than just Miu, all with a distinctly more Japanese twist. This made it seem very fresh and different when I first watched it, which ended with me putting it highly on my list of favorites back in the day, and for the longest time was one of my only favorites that included vampires in it other than, say, the notorious Vampire Hunter D, which was extremely popular at the time. But will this 80s anime take on vampire fiction still be as good and creepy as I remember it to be? Well, let's find out, shall we? At one time, gods and demons were as one. They were sealed away in the abyss of distant memory. The hearts of humans who feared the dark brought this about. These beings were the Shinma, the race of demons. The Shinma awakened from their slumber and gathered together. On the final night of that gathering, when the dark, the Shinma, and the humans met, a young girl strayed into their midst. She became forever known as... Vampire Princess Miyu. So, when I first saw Vampire Princess Miyu back on VHS, I saw it dubbed because that was the only option I had at the time, uh, that being the only version in stock at my local video store to rent. Uh, I later saw it in Japanese and ended up preferring that version more, but I still had a sort of fondness for the dub in my memory because that was the version I had first seen. So when I did my rewatch, I decided to rewatch it dubbed again. Sadly, it did not live up to what I remembered for the most part. You can tell this was one of Animego's early attempts at dubbing, and it sadly didn't really get any better with age. The highlight of the dub is really Miyu herself, played by a Pamela Widener, uh, who did a decent job at recreating Miyu's eerie, childlike qualities and giggles. Uh, Stephanie Griffin's strong portrayal as Himiko was a close second. But most of the minor characters, especially in the first couple of episodes, seem really awkward and wooden in their deliveries. Of course, this was done long before digital technology made dubbing much more easier to record and edit, but this one's definitely not a dub that aged very well. Uh, there were even times I felt like I was taken out of the story a little bit because the dub was just a little too distracting, 
Things like characters taking awkward pauses, for example, right in the middle of their sentences so they can match the mouth movements easier in the animation. That's something that a lot of older dubs have problems with because there wasn't really any way to get around it. Now you can edit things slightly with digital technology a little bit, and most people don't even notice it. There's also the issue of actors who sound a bit too old to be playing middle school students being cast, but I chalk that up to anime go taking what they could get from the small pool of actors that they probably had to work with at the time this was made. When anime dubbing wasn't as common or commercially mainstream as it is now, and you didn't have a lot of actors really willing to audition and play those roles. I'm glad I took the time to revisit this dub, of course, but I would do yourself a favor and watch the original Japanese language track if you're watching this for the first time, even if you're usually a stickler for dubs. It really does make a difference for me, and after I watched this dub version, I almost immediately wanted to rewatch it again in Japanese to make up for it. I was relieved to see that the creepiness that I felt while watching this series was, for the most part, still there. Not having seen the series in a while probably helped with this too, I imagine. But the things that I pointed out earlier that stuck with me in the past still come out as really strong points for the series this time around. The music is an especially big factor. Kenji Kawai, who worked on things like the original Mermaid Forest OVA, uh, the Japanese Ring horror movies, and even the original Ghost in the Shell movie, was the main contributor for the music in the Miyu OVA series, and is pretty well known for his talent of making very memorable and haunting soundtracks, which is a funny contrast because he also worked on uh, the Ronmo and Half soundtrack, which doesn't sound uh, similar at all to uh, this kind of soundtrack that he's mostly known for. Episode 2's background music is especially memorable for me for its mixing of traditional Japanese musical elements, which we hear sometimes in his other work, and it works perfectly with the episode to create a really moody and almost jarring melody to go with an already sort of creepy episode uh, revolving around characters being turned into really freaky-looking human dolls. Uh, to be fair, Kohei Tanaka is also credited as helping work on the music for the series, and he's also done some great stuff for, like, the soundtracks of titles like Gunbuster, uh, the Dirty Pair OAV, and a few of the Gundam properties, but I think we can safely assume that it's Kawai's influence that was mainly at work here on this series, given the overall mood and tone of the music. The creepiness of the demon world, uh, often referred to by Miu as the dark, uh, also known as the place where all of the creepy demons in the story are supposed to live and subsequently get banished to by her, um, is still very effective in looking creepy. Uh, our first glimpse of it is actually in the opening monologue of each episode, looking like some sort of strange collaboration mural between Salvador Dali and that artist who illustrated all of those old, scary stories to tell in the dark books. Uh, in the actual episodes, we see Mew and Larva in this world several times, effectively portrayed with dramatic use of reds, blacks, uh, lighting, and shadow. 
The whole series uses dark colors and shadow to set the move effectively, but these short glimpses into the Shinma world, paired with the eerie background music and Miu and Larva themselves, uh, leave a lasting impression both visually and atmospherically. And last but not least, the character of Miu herself. While the stereotype of an evil monster or vampire hiding under the guise of an innocent looking child isn't really anything new or exciting, this interpretation of that character through Miu uh, does it in a way that doesn't feel like something we've already seen a hundred times before. Of course, it probably helps that Miu was created back in the 80s, so back then the idea of such a character wasn't entirely overdone by that point. Regardless, Vampire Princess Miu tells the story well and doesn't rely so much on the typical vampire stereotypes we're so used to seeing in movies and TV shows uh, of today. We find out rather quickly that while Miu is referred to a vampire, she's technically a dampir, or a daywalker, uh, a child of a human and a vampire, which means she's not affected by things that normal vampires in fiction are, such as daylight, crucifixes, and holy water. Miu also has a reflection, and while we see her drinking blood from victims several times in the series, Miu is never portrayed as having fangs or anything other than ordinary-looking human teeth. The only thing that really gives Miu away as being different uh, would be her gold-colored eyes, her unique hairstyle, and her penchant for wearing kimono over modern clothes. Given how normal she seems in comparison to most young girl vampire characters, it almost makes her even more creepy than other stories that have similar characters, since most usually have some sort of evil-looking true form reveal at the end, or when they unveil their vampire self to their victims in the story, they're often portrayed as suddenly turning into creepier-looking versions of a young girl, like with uh, distorted faces or weird teeth or they grow claws or something crazy like that. But Miu looks perfectly normal and non-threatening throughout. She has no demon form or vampiric transformation when she uses any of her powers. Uh, and her powers are all pretty subtle, but still impressive. Uh, she can levitate, uh, she seems to have mild telekinesis, and uh, wields some sort of demonic flame power. But the fact that she can take your blood, slip seamlessly between the realm of the Shinma and the world of humans, and that eerie childlike laughter of hers that we hear throughout the series all make her a very memorable horror character. The character of Himiko was never in the original manga. She was written basically as a way to introduce the viewers to Miyu uh, through the plot as it unfolded. Uh, the more Himiko learns about Miyu, the more we as the viewer learns about her in return. Uh, this is really an effective way to tell Miyu and Larva's story without just regurgitating random parts of the manga or having a lot of needless narration throughout. For fans of the manga, this is a new, fresh spin on Miyu's story, and for fans who hadn't read the manga, it could interest them enough to want to pick up the manga and read more about these characters. 
but it was also written well enough as a self-contained story so that you could end it right there and still be completely satisfied. Much like how I described the Oh My Goddess OAV uh, that was back in the 90s also released by Animego, uh, this was something that I really liked about it because it doesn't take away from the manga, but it also gives you enough to where you feel like you don't have to know a ton of stuff from either the manga or the anime to enjoy either incarnation of it, which I think is really great. So, was this series as good as I remembered it? Uh, if you couldn't tell by now, I definitely say yes. There really isn't that much I can point out as bad in this OVA, unless you could count the slightly dated fashion and hairstyles, and the fact that it's only four episodes long. Uh, altogether, it's about the same amount of time as a feature-length movie if you watched the whole thing in one sitting. Some of the sound mixing and sound effects are a bit on the dated sounding side as well, and could have made the series seem less dated if they had been a bit more well-placed and subtle, but again, that's the OVA's age showing, uh, as that was pretty much commonplace for an anime series at the time that this was made and released in Japan. If anything really stood out as not so good, like I said before, the dub wasn't nearly as good as I had remembered it, sadly. Uh, but again, it's mostly due to just its age. The original Japanese audio track is way better and holds up much better age, uh, as I previously mentioned. If you want something kind of creepy or Halloween-ish to watch, but you're not really into any of the typical horror movie fare or jump scares or gore, this OVA is a pretty good way to go. The eeriness of the series comes mostly from subtle things. The use of music, the use of sound to create moods, uh, the use of color and shadow in the animation direction, uh, the subtle deliveries from the cast, uh, things like that. Miu entering a scene through a door that leads to an outdoor garden, but then later opening the same door to reveal a glimpse of the nightmarish world of the Shinma behind her instead. Uh, an immaculate Japanese-style bedroom with a girl sleeping in it, only to later be transformed into how it really looks, with cobwebs hanging from ceilings, paper doors falling apart, and other visual clues telling the viewer that in reality, this place was no more than a haunted house that's falling apart slowly from age. All of these little things really add up while you're watching it and make the mood just right for a creepy tale about an eternally young vampire. And the OVA series being so short, you and maybe a small group of friends could easily finish the whole thing in a single evening. The second episode is probably one of my favorites, and is especially creepy if you find dolls kind of spooky yourself. Uh, the last episode, while very heavy on story, is probably my second favorite out of the four. Uh, while both the backgrounds of Miu and Himiko start to unfold, we get a lot of important plot points, but we also get a second spooky story within the story at the same time in this episode, as well as some great visuals of Miu's childhood home that looks very traditional uh, in the Japanese sense, and is pretty ghostly and spooky on its own, but even more so once the world of the Shinma starts intruding upon it. 
The animation of the Miu OVA is pretty great for something that came out in 1988. Uh, if you've ever seen any of Narumi Kaukinauchi's original art for the manga, you can tell that the animators took great care in making the show look as close to her style as possible, which couldn't have been easy as her art is known for its use of sparse, flowing lines. But somehow they managed to do it justice even often borrowing her trademark use of lingering close-ups of characters' faces, dramatic head tilts, and sweeping, elegant-looking movements of characters' arms and fingers. This is fantastic, considering how many OVAs fail to properly capture the look and feel of their source material. Uh, listeners who heard my last review episode with Sanctuary remember how badly that worked out for them. <laughs> Hell, even TV series often make that same mistake. Uh, for example, uh, there is a Vampire Mew TV series that came out not too many years after this one. Uh, while the TV series seems to be better remembered by the bulk of American fans, it doesn't look nearly as good as this older OVA's counterpart. Of course, that might have to do with the fact that Kakunauchi herself worked on this series as character designer and also helped with the storyboards and even with the animation direction. The director of both this original OVA and that later TV series is Toshiki Hirano, who also happens to be Kakunauchi's husband and helped work on the original manga. So the fact that both creators were able to work so closely together in the process of making this anime probably helped it immensely, both in style and mood. Hirano also worked as a director on such older titles as Fight, Aizer 1, Dangayo, the Magic Knight Ray Earth TV series and OAV, and he was the animation director on Urusei Atsura TV series, the Dr. Slump TV series, and the Macross Do You Remember Love movie. Going back to the dub, Pamela Widener, who played Miyu, was also in several other anime go dubs like Yoriko in You're Under Arrest and Scold in Oh My Goddess. She did a few roles in other anime companies like Mari in Elf Princess Rain and Princess Sheena in Shinesman, but other than a small role in an animated short in 2010, she doesn't seem to be doing much in the way of voiceover lately. Stephanie Griffin, on the other hand, who played Himiko and also went on to play Yukari in the Miyu TV series, ironically, also had minor roles in Animego's Oh My Goddess and You're Under Arrest dubs, but then dropped out of anime dubbing in favor of live-action work, gaining roles on TV shows and movies, though her official site that was linked from her IMDb page seems to be down, and her last recorded role was in 2010, so it looks like she might have retired from the acting game. But as for the original Seiyu in the Japanese version, we have Naoko Watanabe as Miyu, who you might have heard before as Puar and Chichi in Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, uh, Sayoko in Aizer 1, and Kadi in the Gulf Force series. Himiko was played by Mami Koyama, who is best known as Ariel in the Dr. Slump series Launch in Dragon Ball, Emerud in Sailor Moon R, and many, many more. Emi Shinohara, who you probably know as Biko from Project Aiko, and Sailor Jupiter from Sailor Moon, also had a bit part in Episode 2 as Keio. And last but not least, the late, great 
Kaneto Shiozawa played Larva, as well as another dark and brooding character who didn't talk very much, D from the original Vampire Hunter D movie. He was also Makube in the original Mobile Suit Gundam, Prince Damando in Sailor Moon R, and about a million other roles. While I watched this series originally on VHS on a small analog television, the series was also released on Laserdisc and then later on DVD by Onimago. The DVD is definitely a step up from the old VHS and still looks decent played on a high-def TV. But since it was released some time ago, there's obvious room for improvement. Sadly, while the Vampire Princess Miyu series enjoys a sort of cult status with fans in both Japan and worldwide, the series has yet to get a Blu-ray release in Japan, and according to Amazon.jp, the last DVD releases for the OVA were in the late 90s. So no HD remasters exist right now, but who knows, maybe if we're lucky, someday in the future we could get them. In the meantime, Animego's official DVD release is still in print and easily found online. Hell, you can even order the DVDs directly from Animego themselves for only $7.99 a piece, which is pretty damn reasonable considering they were both about $20 retail when they first came out. The series was never compiled into one set, so you do have to buy two separate DVDs, but that's still not a bad price compared to when it was first released. Sadly, the DVDs themselves are severely lacking in the extras department, with little more than an image gallery and previews being the only things packaged with the episodes. Uh, this was probably due to the series being older, so bonus features to add onto a DVD weren't really in mind when originally making the series. Of course, hopefully if we ever do get an updated version of the series, we could at least get maybe an interview with the original creators, or the director, or some sort of staff member in there. Even a transcript in lieu of an on-camera interview would be something. But having the DVD still in print after all these years is pretty impressive, so the fact that you can still pick up the series without spending a lot on it is pretty nice. And since we never seem to know when these long-running licenses can expire, I definitely recommend picking up copies as soon as you can if you don't own them already. Once Animego titles go out of print, they seem to go the way of being hard to find without paying a nice chunk of change for them, so it's best to get a good deal on it while you can. If you liked Vampire Princess Mew and want to watch something similar along with it for Halloween, the classic Vampire Hunter D would work nicely as a companion. If you're not so big into vampires or want something a little more lighthearted, you could give Ushio and Tora a shot, which is another short OVA series that features a lot of Japanese-style demons, but is more comedy and action-based than horror, but will still give you a little Halloween flavor. But even those who aren't too big into horror or vampires, I hope you still try to give Vampire Princess Miu's OVA a shot. 
While I personally love the supernatural and horror-esque parts of it, like I said before, uh, it doesn't rely on what people typically get from horror and or vampire stories. So I really think that most anime fans can still enjoy it, even those who aren't normally fond of things that are labeled as horror. If not, like I said, the whole series is only about the length of a regular movie, so even if it ends up being not your particular cup of tea, you didn't waste your time on something long and drawn out. And so that about wraps it up for another review episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. I hope you all have a great Halloween. And for those who don't celebrate it, well, happy day before discounted candy day. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or other spooky things to say about this episode or other episodes, or suggestions for future episodes, you can comment or message on the blog at animenostalgia.blogspot.com, as well as Tumblr, animenostalgia.tumblr.com. You can also email me at animenostalgiapodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. The next episode will be part two of that extra-long Satoshi Kon retrospective I recorded previously with my guests. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you can find the episode on the aforementioned blog, or Tumblr, or on iTunes. So, until then, listeners, this has been your host, Usamimi, and I will see you next time.